Again, welcome uh, to Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. Glad you could join us today. Happy early Thanksgiving to everyone. Hope you guys are excited about Thanksgiving. Uh, my family is going to go visit my sister in Idaho for the first time. So I'm excited to eat good potatoes, is, is what I hear. It's literally all I know about Idaho. But uh, this past week, we actually had something cool. Pastor Roland mentioned that we exist to honor God as a mission-driven multi-ethnic and multi-generational church. And one thing we do as a multi-generational church is hang out with our young people, with our youth, once a month. So this past Friday, we had them over at our house, and there were at least a dozen teenagers in my living room, which was way more uh, than I bargained for in terms of activity and noise. But it was also such a blessing, man, because we, we just got to spend time with them and talk about gratitude. You know, everybody's got their favorite Thanksgiving dish, but I realized the most important Thanksgiving dish to me is gravy. Because gravy goes with everything else, except the cranberry sauce maybe, but the gravy belongs on the turkey and maybe on the ham and on the mashed potatoes and on rice and it belongs on the stuffing. My goodness, just give me stuffing and gravy and I'm grateful. But I'm talking about gravy, which goes with everything and actually makes some of the bad things better because we've all had that turkey that's been in the oven a little too long. Gravy saves the day. And gratitude is the gravy of life. So that's what we're talking about. And that's an attitude we can take into our weeks this week. Uh, but I'm talking about the youth because really my favorite part of that evening was the fact that one of our youth invited a bunch of his friends. Um, they go to a co-op together. They're homeschooled, but they gather together with other homeschooled students during the end of the week. And one of our students, um, a lot of you guys know him, Nigel, shout out to Nigel. He invited a bunch of his friends to come join us. And it reminds me that this is the time of the year where a lot of people are open to coming to church, to connecting with God, because Christmas is here. They're thinking about Jesus. So let's look for those opportunities to, to engage the individuals, the family, the friends around them, us, and invite them to come and experience Jesus for themselves. So with that said, why don't we start this time in God's word together with prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you. Uh, first, that you engaged us and you reached down out of heaven. You crossed uh, from the spiritual to the physical realm and you came and you walked the earth. And Lord, you taught us how to build our lives in spite of the storms that we face. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning how to stand in a storm. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So we've been in this these series of messages called The World's Gone Mad, right? I think we can all just think for just a moment and identify one or two ways in which the world has gone mad. Um, there is political unrest. There are literal wars and rumors of wars. And even the weather is going crazy. So here, obviously, in Las Vegas, we've had some windy days. Last week, actually, it was, uh, the wind came out of nowhere. Right, so we're here setting up, Josh is setting up outside by himself, and I'm like, I got to go help Josh with the tents. By the way, who's thankful for the setup and breakdown team? All right, set up today, Josh back there, shout out to everybody who helps break down, Donnie helps with break down, Eric, thank you guys, um, can't literally, can't do this without you. Cliche phrase, but there's, there's no service unless someone sets things up, worship team set, takes care of setup, so shout out to everybody. But um, last week, Josh puts up the tents. And I look outside, like, I better go help him, and they're done. So, like, okay, you're awesome, man. Uh, felt pretty bad. But then I felt even worse. 
because what was a nice day became a very windy day very quickly. And it got so windy that the tents started to lift up. And of course, we had to take them down after he put them up all by himself. So, you know, the thought was there. The sacrifice, God will honor it. Your treasure's in heaven, my bro. Uh, the wind here, though, in Vegas actually caused me to think of the storms passing through Florida. Um, I don't know how many of us caught this on the news because there are so many other things going on, but Hurricane Nicole just passed through Florida. And of course, it always brings damage. Hurricane Nicole was a little strange because it wasn't the strongest storm in terms of wind force, but it was one of the biggest. So it spread over a very wide area, dumped a lot of rain, caused a lot of damage. And whenever you have that kind of rain and high winds, still 75 miles per hour, you're going to have collapsed buildings. So when I was reading about Hurricane Nicole this week, I saw this building on the news. And I thought it was really ironic because I don't know if you can read the print on the top where safety and ocean rescue. The beach safety building collapsed onto the beach. It's not safe. They need to be rescued. But sometimes when the storms of life comes, our lives start to look like that building. And we don't want it to. And I don't think God wants our lives to look like that. But the fact of the matter is, storms are coming. And because storms are coming, we need to prepare. And there are two ways to prepare for that. We don't want our lives to collapse. Instead, we want to learn how to stand in the storm. That's the title of our sermon today. And that's what we'll talk about as we get to our main text. Our main text today is going to be from Matthew chapter 7, the end of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And at this point, we're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. We know it's this radical, revolutionary sermon that Jesus preaches toward the beginning of his ministry. And in this sermon, Jesus takes everything that people think about God and the way to relate to him and even the world and just flips it all on its head. So Jesus starts to say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's not the people who push their way and try Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's upside down. And then he goes on to teach us things like, don't pray ritualistically to get attention. He says, pray relationally to get to know your Father in heaven. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very fact that we can call God Father is something that no one in the Old Testament would have thought of. And yet here Jesus is, the Son of God, letting us know that this is how God wants you to approach him. So now, at the end of Matthew 7, we reach the grand finale of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus wants to take this sermon and everything that he had said and move it from the heads of the people who heard it down to their heart and down to their hands so that it can become real and actionable in their lives. So here is how Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. This is verses 24 to 29. Here's what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
verse 28. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus is making it pretty clear. Storms are coming. They are on their way. Some of you might feel like you're in a storm in your own life right now. And what Jesus is describing is a perfect storm. The winds came <coughs> and the waters and the streams rose. And the wind and the rain blew and beat against the house. Which is to say everything that's going to go, that can go wrong is going to go wrong. Everything, that ba everything bad that can happen will happen if it's not happening already. And it's a tough situation to find ourselves in. Has anyone here ever felt like your problems stacked on top of each other? And they kept coming one after another after another and there was no end in sight? It's part of life. And Jesus knows that. So he's being the warning siren for us here and telling us to prepare. It's like that TV ticker that interrupts your show. This broadcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Clark County Department. Floods are coming. Stay home. Jesus is warning us. And his warning says that there are two ways to build and two ways to prepare. We can build our lives on one thing or another. And we build our lives on something when we place the most important things in the world to us on that thing. When we place the weight of our identity, our self-worth, our values, our direction, our hope, our future. When we place our lives on something, we're building on it. When we trust it to bear up the weight of our lives, we're building on it. And whether we realize it or not, all of us build our lives on something. And those things can generally fall into one or two categories. So here's our first option and the first way for us to build our lives. We can build our lives on sand. Now, I'm sure a lot of people here have heard this parable before, right? Show of hands, if you've heard this parable before, build your house on the rock, don't build your house on the sandy land, don't build it new, too near the shore. Well, it might be kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice. Well, you'll have to build your house once more. But we have 2,000 years of hindsight when we approach this parable. So we know that this is the wrong answer. Spoiler alert, don't build your house on sand, real or figurative. And yet, because we know that this is the wrong answer, it might put us in danger of actually doing it. Because when we know something's bad, for example, the floor is wet. Thank you, I can see that. We might walk past the sign anyway because we think we know what we're doing. And when we know that, okay, it's bad to build your life on sand, it might cause us to skip past this part of the passage without really giving thought to what it means to build your life on sand or why people might do it. So as I prepared for the sermon, I started to ask myself this question. If it's so obvious that we shouldn't be building our lives on sand, why are people doing it anyway? And then when I began to pray about it and ask God to teach me, I realized that, you know, this is a lot more tempting than we want to make it sound. Anyone might fall into the trap of building their life on sand. And I could think of at least three reasons why. Number one, it's attractive. Waterfront property is beautiful. There's a reason why you have to pay for more. Uh, for a house that's oceanfront property, or you pay more for a hotel room that faces the water. I don't do that. I don't know about you guys, but you, you can have your view, man. I'll, 
I'll view the backside of another hotel. But a lot of people are willing to pay that extra amount because it's beautiful to look out over the water, to look out over the sand. And the figurative sand in our lives, the things that we might try to build on, they're attractive. So when we look at something that might make us happy, it might be intriguing, it might look good, we turn around and say, yeah, that. Give me that. I want to build my life on that. So one reason we might try is because it's attractive. Another reason is that it's widely available. So going back to the Sermon on the Mount, it's widely believed that because this happened near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus preached this sermon on a hill near the Sea of Galilee where he grew up. The hill was about 650 feet high. Is Pastor Roland here? I was going to ask him if he had been to the Sea of Galilee and if they took him to this hill when he went to Israel. So they were probably on top of a hill, 650 feet high, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, Lake Tiberias. And as they overlooked that lake, they would have seen miles and miles of coastland and lots and lots of sand. And if that weren't enough, there was also the fact that they were in a desert. So this uh, satellite shot was from 2009. Right? And you see a little bit of green, and you see a little bit of development, and you see a lot of yellow sand. The sand is widely available. And this is 2009. How much more available would it be when Jesus was speaking these words? The opportunities for us to build on sand, and we'll talk about what that is briefly in just a moment, they're everywhere. These opportunities for us to build on sandy foundations are widely available. You don't have to look hard. And even if you think you've found something that isn't sand, that can be trusted, you might fall into the third reason why someone could build their house on sand, we might not be aware. We might just think we are building our lives on a solid foundation. We think we are placing our trust and hope and confidence in something that works and that's real and that's reliable. And yet, after some time passes and after some storms come, we discover that it wasn't quite the strong foundation that we thought it was. This is the literal reason why the Leaning Tower of Pisa is leaning, by the way. They started to build the Tower of Pisa, and after they got to the second floor, it started to sink. I don't know if they knew what was going on, but they kept going. So they get up to the third, fourth, fifth floor, and then it starts to lean. And that's when they finally figured out something's wrong with the foundation. The foundation looked solid, but the ground underneath it was too weak and too soft to bear the burden of the tower they were building. And sometimes we try to build our lives on things that look solid, but it really can't bear the weight of our identity and our hope and our dreams. We might be building our lives on sand and we don't even know it. So if we want to avoid these three temptations of sand being attractive and available, or we might not be aware, then we need to know exactly what this sand is. So the sand represents things in the world that shake, that shift, or change. The sand in the world is things that change. And when we think about buildings, 
it teaches us why it's a bad idea. For example, if there's sand in the foundation of a building and a storm comes, sometimes what happens is that the water washes away the sand, filling the cracks of the foundation. And the foundation is weakened and the building collapses. Or some of that rainwater could be acidic and it dissolves some of those minerals and sands hiding under the surface. And again, the foundation finds itself weaker than before and it crumbles. Sand changes, sand shifts, sand moves, and sand can't be trusted, yet we try to build our lives on things like sand, things that are subject to change. The sand in this world is anything that is subject to change. And the world provides us with an endless supply because essentially everything in the world is subject to change. There are almost limitless applications of what sand could look like, but I thought of three uh, quick applications that might apply to a lot of us. And since we're talking about sand, they all start with S. So number one, the situation. We might try to build our lives on a good situation or favorable circumstances. And that might include a good job or a good living situation. Or we might try to build our lives on a good economy with low inflation and good interest rates. We might even try to build our lives on a preferred political situation. That might be a good situation for a lot of people. But the problem with these situations is that they change all the time. So when the situation changes and shifts, our foundation shifts and we find ourselves disappointed. Uh, one recent situation, I follow sports. Um, I hope I'm not following sports right now. I, I closed it. How people aren't following their sports too closely. But recently, athletes have been taking parts of their pay in cryptocurrency, things like Bitcoin. I'm talking about big, famous athletes in basketball. Clay Thompson did it. Andre Iguodala did it in football. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. did it. Uh, Trevor Lawrence did it. Who else? Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Who's, I'm not surprised. Aaron Rodgers. He took his uh, pay in cryptocurrency. In baseball, Shohei Otani took his pay in cryptocurrency. And at the, at the time, it looked great because they signed their contract and they got paid X amount in cryptocurrency. And then it grew and they looked like geniuses. So they're happy about building their lives on this situation. But cryptocurrency is not doing as well right now. I looked at this um, I hope it hasn't affected people here too severely. It's affected me a little bit. Uh, but Bitcoin, a year ago, was $60,000. Oh, gosh. Goodness gracious. What was it on? What is it today? Do you know? From $67,000 to $16,000 in one year. Situations change. Don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Because when the, when the situation changes, we find ourselves disappointed. Sometimes very disappointed. We might try to build our lives on as a possibility or something that we see. So rather than a current situation, we're thinking about a potential outcome or possibility that could happen in the future. If only, this is what this attitude says, if only I could get this or that. <clears throat> if only I could get <clears throat> into the school I want. Excuse me, I might need to get some water. 
If only I could unscrew this cap with one hand. Just gonna drop it and be all slick. Take a moment, say a silent prayer to God. God is so good. Living water, amen. If only I could get into the school I want. Or if only I could get into the job I want or the promotion I've been after. If only I could get the guy or get the girl. If only I could get the car or the house. These are possibilities that we see, so we pursue them. And it's good to pursue possibilities. No one's telling you to be lazy. We're also not saying don't build your life on a possibility. Recently, people from across the country tried to build their lives on the possibility, maybe not build their lives, but they were aiming for the possibility of a $1.9 billion Powerball lottery. That's a big possibility. So people spend money chasing the possibility. And yet the possibilities that we try to build our lives on are unreliable too, because we might never get them. In case you didn't know, you'll probably never win the lottery. If you do win the lottery, I'm right here. I mean, we love Spring Valley High School, but a building would be nice. But it's probably never going to happen. But if it does, but even if it does come, maybe it's not everything we cracked it up to be. Maybe the money doesn't make all the pain go away. Maybe it can't actually buy happiness. Or... Let's say you get what you're looking for and it's everything it's cracked up to be. Then it becomes a current situation that's still subject to change anyway. And that includes lottery winners. There was one study done in Florida of state lottery winners that had 70% of them going broke. So the possibilities we see are unreliable sandy foundations and we shouldn't build our lives on them. The final thing that we might try to build our lives on is the things people say. It feels great to be liked and admired and respected. Those are good things. Not a good foundation, though. I, it, it, it used to be the foundation of my life, if I'm being honest. Um, I've shared before, when I was in college, doing well in my classes, networking with professionals, leading every club I joined, essentially. Um, I was motivated because I wanted to build my resume, because I wanted to build my life. So that eventually the end goal of my life was just to have a lot of money, to have a nice house and a nice car. But the house and the car and the money and fancy titles, those things were never the end goal. The only reason why I wanted those things was to get approval from people. But so people could say good things about me is to earn respect. I was trying to live and build on a foundation of what people said. We see this in our world too. Sometimes we'll see people get on social media and build an image or build an identity that's completely inauthentic or completely exaggerated in order for people to like them, literally like them. For the first time in our history, we can quickly quantify the approval of other people, and it's addictive. It's unreliable because the people who we seek approval from are not constant. And people change. People can turn on us as quickly as they started to like us. I think we've all seen celebrities get canceled. Some of them kind of deserve it, but some don't. 
Sometimes it's a complete overreaction. And yet, it's an example of how quickly the world's opinion of you can change. So we shouldn't build our lives on things like this, but most of us have. And we've experienced what it's like for our situations to change, or our possibilities to go away, for the things that people say about us to suddenly stop being so favorable. So as I tried to build my life on this foundation of people's praise, I also started to pursue Jesus, and then God called me into full-time ministry. And I started to tell my family and friends about it. Hey, you know, God's really changed my life, and I'm finding hope in him, and I'm finding love in him that I never found anywhere else. And because of that, I'm going to go train to tell people about Jesus and eventually be a pastor. Some people patted me on the back. Most of them didn't. Some of them insulted me, either to my face or behind my back. So some of the same family and friends who would say great things about me would suddenly start saying things like, what is this guy? He's brainwashed all of a sudden. Like, what's up with him? At least he's following your dreams. That was a face-to-face one. Then I was hurt because I tried to build my life on the foundation of what people said about me. Maybe you've had that moment in your own life. Maybe it's been recent. Maybe you tried to build your life on a good situation, and when the situation changed, you lost a sense of security or comfort or confidence or even direction. Or maybe you tried to build your life on a possibility that existed for the future. And when that possibility changed, you found yourself disappointed and you lost a sense of hope. Or maybe like me, you tried to build your foundation on the things that people said about you And when that changed, you lost value and identity and self-worth. When Jesus preached this parable about two builders, and he described the fall of a house built on sand, he says, and great was the fall of it. The Greek implies catastrophic failure, massive damage, incredible disappointment. And that's where some of us have been, and that's where some of us might be. But thankfully, by the grace of God, there is no such thing as irreparable damage. And we all have the opportunity to build or build again on the second option. Because we have more than sand to choose from. We can also choose to build on the rock. We can build our lives on rock, and the rock represents Jesus and his word. In this parable, the rock is presented as the ultimate contrast to the sand. Because when the wind comes and the rain comes and the streams rise, the sand is going to change. It's going to get swept out to sea. It's going to be gone. But the rock won't be. Because when the wind blows and the rain comes, the rock will stay the same. The rock will never move. The rock will be constant and it can be trusted. And the rock is not Dwayne Johnson. The rock is Jesus Christ. So can you smell what that rock is cooking? We want to build our lives on Jesus. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine, the the emphasis is on the identity of the speaker. It's about Jesus. Verses 28 and 29 then expanded and said, Jesus taught as one who had authority, not like teachers of the law, not like scribes. In our context, those scribes and those teachers of the law could represent different opinions, different voices, 
different options, and we live in a world where there is no shortage of them. One of those other voices is calling somebody right now. But the thing about other options and other opinions and other voices is they too are unreliable. They too will change while Jesus Christ does not. So we can go to him because Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's Hebrews 13.8. So we can go to Jesus even when our situation changes. Because we know that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. And we can go to Jesus even when we don't see every possibility or when the possibilities we relied on, they change. Because when we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understandings and in all of our ways acknowledge him, then he will make our path straight. And we can go to Jesus when the things that people say about us change. And maybe they're not so kind. Because we know that Jesus is kind. And we know what Jesus says about us. Jesus says, you are the workmanship of God in Christ. Jesus prepared in it, uh, to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Jesus says, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. According to Jesus, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. According to the word of God and according to Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a God's special possession, a holy nation, that you may declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what Jesus says about us, and this will never change, and that's why we should build our lives on him. There's a song that we sing sometimes that we hear it on the radio. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. That's the result of a life built on Jesus and built on his word. And that's what God makes it possible for us to do. So how do we do it? Here's how building our lives on Christ is a process of continued, continued, continued faith and action. Matthew 7, 24, one more time. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, and does them. The Greek word for and does them is, uh, I think it's poieo, but regardless of what it is, it implies um, making and building and manufacturing. And when we think about the trade that Jesus was trained in by Joseph, it takes on special meaning because Jesus was taught to be a carpenter. So the same God who spoke the universe into existence walked the earth and learned how to build things the hard way. One swing of the hammer at a time. One pull of the saw at a time. Building our lives on Christ means doing the same thing, the right thing, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I'm just going to keep saying this until I finally fix my sleeve. And over and over and over again. And over again. But I thought about it. How many nails are in our houses? I saw one website, I don't know if it's accurate, but it says something to the effect of 1,000 nails per 100 square feet. That's a lot of nails. How many screws are in our houses? And because of how many nails there are, how many times did somebody swing a hammer? 
or pull the trigger on a nail gun? How many times does somebody have to use a screwdriver? More times than we could count. But the end result of building, of the continued intentional repetition, was a structure that could stand in a storm. I hope. My house is still standing. Let's just look at it later. But in order to build our lives on Christ, we need to act in faith intentionally and repeatedly over and over again. Following Jesus needs to be a lifestyle. It needs to be habitual. Um, one of the books I'm reading through right now, mostly the audio book, but we've also got the physical copy, is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Any Atomic Habits readers? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> cool. So James Clear writes this book, Atomic Habits, and one thing he wrote is this. When it comes to building a lifestyle or habits, motivation is overrated. We need clarity on what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. So it's one thing to leave Sunday morning fired up like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to build my life on him. I'm going to read my Bible and pray every day, and I will grow, grow, grow. And we're motivated, but we don't have clarity. We don't know when we're going to read our Bible or pray every day. So we don't grow, grow, grow. We don't do anything. We stay the same. What we need is not motivation. What we need is clarity about what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. Because every action that eventually becomes a habit is initiated by a cue. So we want to set up cues to remind us how to start building our lives on Jesus through consistent, intentional repetition, through consistent faith in action. Uh, so two tips for doing that this week. First, the first tip is called implementation intentions. It's an intention on how you'll implement something. See, it's easy to remember. Anyway, it's a plan for doing a specific action and building it into a habit over time. Uh, and we are cued by the time and the place. So it sounds like this. This is the formula to have an implementation intention. I will do action at time in place. Simple, right? Easy to remember. I will pray at 6 a.m. in my office. I will read my Bible at 9 p.m. in the living room. I will meet with my life group at 6 p.m. in Starbucks. These things create clarity around the things that we want to do. So when we're cued and reminded by the time and the place, we just do it. That's what an implementation intention looks like. The second tip for making this stuff real and actually building a life that's intentional on Jesus is habit stacking. And it's a form of implementation intention. So here's the formula for that. It says, after or before current habit, I will do this new habit. So we're identifying something that we already do and building a new habit on top of that. Uh, again, some examples. After getting ready in the morning... Most of us get ready in the morning. I will read a chapter of my Bible. Before beginning my drive home, current habit, I will put on some worship music in the car. Or I'll put on the sermon and listen to it again. 
new habit. Here's one that I've actually been implementing recently. After I drop Ali off at school and before I start my ride home, I will spend the first five minutes in the car worshiping, praying, and meditating. I've started that, and I've been doing it every time I drive Ali home from school. Because I'm looking for ways to continue to build my life on Jesus. And I realize this is the moment that frames the rest of my day. Because my mind shifts from what I need to do for my kid to what I need to do for my king. Because I'm planned and things flow pretty nicely. So that's where I started to build that habit. We need to build our lives intentionally and repeatedly on Jesus. One swing of the hammer at a time. But over time, if we will be intentional and act in faith repeatedly, that is how we build a life that is prepared to stand in a storm. One person, a uh, celebrity name that we know uh, who experienced this is Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin, of course, a professional basketball player, um, played in the NBA, the center of Linsanity with the Knicks, um, went on to play for a bunch of other teams. He's also a Christian, and he shared this once, that beginning around his sophomore year of college, he started to have really, really bad pregame anxiety, and there was no way for him to deal with it. So this continued. And it reached its worst point during his second year with the Houston Rockets. At the time, he was fighting for his starting job. And he really became so anxious to the point where it was almost debilitating for him. So as Jeremy starts to seek see God, uh, God shows him a scripture to combat his anxiety. It was uh, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Um, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. So this scripture comes up to him again and again. And he starts to meditate on it, and he starts to pray on it, and he starts to think about it repeatedly, intentionally, faith in action, swinging the hammer of the word of God in his heart and building this up. And all of this is happening as he's living in the public eye with people watching him, some wanting him to succeed, some wanting him to fail. But now he's just doing his best and building his life on Christ. So he said God didn't relieve him by giving him the starting job. He found that relief in Scripture. And then, of course, he kept fighting for that job. And he gave his best. Does anybody know what happened? He got cut. <laughs> he got benched first. He lost the starting job. That's not the way the story is supposed to go. But he wasn't supposed to find relief through the situation. God didn't want him to find relief through the possibility of him being the starter. He found relief in God. And on the bench, he said that's where his anxiety finally went away. So here's a direct quote. He said, God taught me he might not always, he might not always rescue me when I want to get out of a certain situation. But he is always with me as I walk through that situation. God is with us in any situation that we face. And he wants to teach us how to walk with him so that we can learn how to stand in a storm. So storms are going to come. If they aren't here already, there are two ways for us to prepare. We can try to build our lives and place our hope and our trust in things of this world that change and shift 
can be relied on that will eventually disappoint us or we can choose to build our lives to place our hope and our future and our identity and all of it on Jesus and allow him to be the foundation. And then we continue to build on him through repeated faith and action. And the end result of that life is a life that can stand in a storm. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, we thank you that you've given us the tools and the opportunity, the foundation to build a life on you. And God, I just pray that you would help us to do that this week. Lord, help us to build our lives on you, to make you our foundation, to follow you every day, and to become, <clears throat> to become resilient because you are the foundation of our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone here going through a storm right now. Maybe it's a difficult situation. Maybe things in their lives have changed. Maybe, like we talked about, all the problems are stacking up right now. One after another. Every bad thing that can happen is happening. Lord, I pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would be their shelter in a storm. Lord, I pray that you would help them to run to you. I pray that you would clear the skies and help them to build again. Thank you for this, Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, um, two things I want to pray for this morning. First, if you feel like you're going through a storm right now and you just need God's help and you need him to make those clouds go away and need his help to begin again, then could you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Anybody here going through that storm? Anybody? All right, God, I pray for everyone here raising their hands. Lord, you see their hands and you see their hearts. Lord, you see the situation. Lord, you see the frustration and the pain and the difficulty. But Lord, you're the same God who stood in a boat with his disciples with them and spoke to the wind and the rain and said, peace be still. So God, I pray that you would bring peace in people's lives beginning today, beginning in this moment. Lord, I pray for breakthrough. Lord, I pray for freedom. Lord, I pray for help to come unexpectedly. And Lord, as the sky clears, I also pray for the resilience to build with you as the foundation again and again and again. Help us to build sturdy lives on you. In Jesus' name, amen.